Yeah, so I mean, they had the Colt Patterson revolver in 1836, and then the Walker Colt in 1847. Okay. It's We're early in those. the period of revolvers, but it's still, you, they are fairly wide. They, they are getting out there. What about pistols We are so in the weeds right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's just funny. I'm going to cut a whole bunch of this. We had three hours <laughs> condensed down to 15 minutes. Welcome to Crucible of Realms. I'm Jim. I'm John. And I'm Kent. Let us build a world. What do we want to build? Do we do a uh, steampunk? We could. So, But we don't want to do the standard steampunk. Or do we want to break away and try and come up with a... Ooh, or we could just do like a Cowboys versus Aliens thing. We could do that. Just sort of depends on uh, what direction we want to go in here. I could see the Cowboys versus Aliens or uh, Cowboys versus Zombies. That might be an interesting. Ooh, there you go. Undead, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So you want to do like a weird Western setting? Yes. Okay. Yeah, sure. You know, the revolver and the, you know, the so, shotgun. So, but we're not going to do Deadlands, so to speak. No, no, yes. That's, uh, we need to do something I, of our own and not... Yes, this is true. No, And it's uh, it's funny, really. I uh, That's where my brain went immediately, of course, was to Deadlands. But yeah, we can easily make up something else. The first question I should pose, which is a very basic one, is, is this going to be an Earth, alternate Earth, or is this going to be another place entirely just inspired by the Western theme? I'd be happy doing either one. I just, uh, I think we need to get a kind of a basis of which direction we're going to go in. I think it's going to be Earth, because that, that's where we get a frame of reference for that kind of, yeah. for sure. the, the Cowboys. So say, for example, uh, I mean, do you want to just do a frontier type thing or do you want to do something where it's like specifically like American West, but there's a zombie situation or something I, I don't necessarily want to throw in zombies. I just thought that, that I just threw that in. Uh, I could do without zombies. I could do with zombies. Sh- shall I return the, the zombies that we were starting to order then? I can uh, yeah, yeah. put them back in there. OK, guys, put the, put the zombies back in their shipping put crates. Put them back in the box. Yeah. <laughs> OK. I'm getting a feeling that you guys may want to do something kind of more that that is like a frontier, not unlike Wild West, but perhaps not necessarily American West as we knew it. Is that kind of? Yeah, I just uh, for me, I just it being in the Wild West is is almost played out almost right now. Mm. Everybody's taking a shot at that. Did you see? Um, and now I must remember what the movie was called. There was a movie that came out just a few years ago, and it had Guy Pierce. And it was a Western, but it was set in Australia. The Proposition, that's what it was called. That's it. I don't think I've ever... It was ever... in 2005. Uh, it's very interesting because it is a Western, pretty much. But it's during the occupation of Australia, uh, later on. It's roughly about the same time period. It's the 1800s. It's 1800s Australia, where back when there was still the effect of it having been a prison colony... And so the t- towns were very lawless. Uh, I've never seen that one. But anyway, I, I'm just using that as an example. That's one of the very few westerns that I've seen that is not actually set in the American West. Well, Quigley Down Under, which was... I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, I have not actually seen it, but I have heard of it. Actually, really good. I liked it. So, I mean, we could do Frontier in a number of different places. Mm-hmm. It just sort of depends on how you want to want to tackle it. Well, do we want to... Instead of going the whole world, go a much smaller scale, much... Or I'm kind of getting the feeling that for this one, yeah, maybe we'd like be a, focusing on a particular area. A city or a county or a territory. That's the only way that this makes sense to me at this point. I mean, we might roll out a different way. Well, let's also think about how we want it to be different from Earth-Earth. I think there needs to be something random... Something that keeps them on their toes. It used to be a thing we throw in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Separate it. It'll be fun. Like dimensional portals opening all over the place. Oh, yeah. Um, Keep it Western, and then every once in a while for flavoring, something happens. Because that's kind of what the Cowboys versus Aliens is. It's not like they continuously plague the area. They're only there for a little bit. (laughs) It's just, it's it's the West, but there are these strange things out there that Mm. they have to deal with sometimes. Oh, yes. Like aliens landing. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. Let's maybe let's narrow it down a bit. Do we want to do have this be a a science fiction type threat? Do we want this to be like a fantasy type threat? Do we want it to be more horror based? I like horror because we can throw in multiples of that. You know, yeah, I like horror based. That works. Undead zombies, were rats, you know, werewolves. So supernatural horror. There you go. Supernatural horror. Yep. In the old west. Yep. Or okay. Uh, for geography for this, let's keep this kind of simple. Let's should we say maybe somewhere kind of west of the Mississippi? Do we want to do? Do we want trees or deserts? Um, <laughs> do we want that's, trees, mountains, or deserts? That's what I was saying. Is you know, do we make it? You know, because normally you you picture the tumbleweeds and the, the hot yeah. arid desert, not a whole lot Cause, of trees. Because I mean, they've got because uh, there's that, which is that's kind of like um, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, California, Wyoming. We could do Eastern Excellent. Washington. That's yeah, a big desert, and there are mountains. And they... uh, that is interesting in that uh, not as much stuff gets done in that area. Right. And I have personal knowledge of the area. Yeah. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Washington State. I'm just going ahead and pulling up some information on it, so that kind of area. So well, it's a, it's a desert there because of the, the rain shadow effect off of... Basically, all the water gets dumped on the Cascades in the oh. West. Most people don't think of it that way because you don't think of that when you're in Portland or any of those places west of, of the mountains. Yeah. You get so much rain that you get out into the West and it's dry as a bone. Yep. I've only been there once myself, so I, but I remember my climatology. Okay. Well, I grew up there, so I'm completely ah, tuned with so it. So you have area knowledge. Yeah. Which is good, because yep. that will help. Do you know anything about the history of the area? Is there anything? Are there any juicy tidbits we can play on from the history you can think of off the top of your head? Other than, like, Lewis and Clark's expedition and discovering the area and then uh, coming in after it around... That would still be about the same era, I mean, where you're dealing with... In, the Indians basically led them across, so... Is there, of their foraging and tracking abilities. The Colville Indian Reservation, they had a reputation for being pretty bloody when uh, they were approached, so... And we call them the Colville Indians, but I forget what they were part of. They weren't Sioux, and they weren't some other nation. We ended up creating a, a reservation where they all kind of got moved to when that law went out. Eastern Washington has its own Wikipedia page. Really? Wow. It's a it's a very large... I mean, picture like this big, flat, open land, and it's got a little bit of a rolling hill to it, but it's a terminal moraine. It's a huge terminal moraine where this glacier just came down and just wiped flat an area the size of half the state. So you have these immense volcanic boulders. I mean, they tower like anywhere from 12 to 20 feet in diameter, hmm. just dotting the whole area. Every quarter mile, you see these little rocky outcroppings where the boulder has been either smashed or it is left intact and creates a, a kind of um, almost like a tombstone type feeling. You know, you're like, what died there? You know, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Hmm. Well, no, that's something that can be that mm-hmm. we can expand on. Actually. The Palouse Hills. That's a yeah. yep. that's a great word. It's like um, they're very fertile soils because that's the mm-hmm. when the the glaciers come in and they grind everything up and it pulverizes the bedrock the and actually rock, makes, yep. yeah mm-hmm. and makes very fertile and it's very rich soil. Yep. But unfortunately, okay. we've in this day we've not really exhausted it. But I mean, a lot of farming has been done on it. So right. it's a huge wheat field basically. Wheat and rye and alfalfa. And an interesting, um, there's a, uh, what was the name of the lake? There's a, it was a. There's Moses Lake. No, no, this is a prehistory oh, lake. Lake Missoula. Yeah, that there's a, the channeled lake. scablands is mm-hmm. what they call the area where, yep. where this, okay. where, where a lake, basically the size of a state broke loose and mm-hmm. sluiced this, this, out this river. It's This huge. lake basically was the size of, of western Montana, Idaho, and parts of Wyoming. That's how huge this lake was. I mean, it was see, as large as, like, um, one of the Great Lakes. See, you've got some very interesting potential images going here, mm-hmm. based on everything you guys have just been saying. Channeled scablands and these sort of fight going on between glaciers and volcanoes as it were yes <laughs> and i know yeah. it's i know it's not quite that simple but it's uh, still 
The thing that comes to my mind is a thought that maybe something happens in this area to cause nightmare images to take form. Ooh, yes. So you would have... I love that. So you could have these horrific... You could have horrific ice creatures and volcano creatures fighting each other, for example. You could have... Channel- Why is it called the Channeled Scablands? It had to do with the, the lake was held back by a, a huge glacier, and eventually the glacier let loose, let broke apart, and mm-hmm. the water flowed and just carved out this valley, and they called it the Channeled Scablands. I'm pulling that out of my, the back of my memory, and I don't remember why exactly it was. I'll look it up. Debate over the origin of the Scablands raged for four decades. Yes. I mean, it was... a great debate through the history of Earth science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scablands are also important to planetary scientists as perhaps the best terrestrial analog for Martian outflow channels. (laughs) Martian outflow channels. Hey, don't blame me. Blame Wikipedia. (laughs) Here's the deal, and this is why this is is a, a deal, is that creationists originally said, look at this. This is evidence of the Noah flood, the Noetic flood. Oh, okay. And that's when they were like, you know, it's obvious this is these were all created because of the Noah flood. And so there was a split. This is uh, when we were actually just starting to get a we were divorcing science from religion. That's what it comes down to. But the creationists, uh, the noetic kind of people always kind of came back to this this area and said, look, this is clear evidence. They they use this as clear evidence that, that the Noah's flood actually occurred. It's an interesting thing because, so what if you have something that causes these There's, energies, shall we say, to be able to take hold and say maybe you have these large watery areas that can somehow... I'm getting images of people sort of waking up in the middle of the night, but still sort of half asleep and wandering down and going into the lake and then coming back as these creatures dripping water. They're like they were, except they're sort of now being controlled by this element. So so you've got sort of like water and ice and lava and fire being able to kind of break into people's minds, perhaps while they're sleeping, uh, to the extent that it takes them over and... Perhaps they fight this very long war that's been going on for ages, and ordinary folk who are settling out there get caught in the middle. Does that sound good? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. This is just basically, I'm just uh, uh, pulling this from just from images based on stuff that you guys have just been saying. Does that sound horrific enough, or do we need to twist it some more? <laughs> I think we're good. Yeah. I like that. Keep it simple for right now. We'll mold it. Sure. Yeah. And it's very simple. We can actually... Uh, I mean, the easiest explanation that the people who are involved or who are aware of it would have is that these are demons. Basically, yeah. They've demons. associate them as demons, yep. yeah. Or Manitous or whatever, depending mm-hmm. on who you're talking to. Correct. Um, just coming forth and... Probably, and that probably leads to some of the confrontation with the Native Americans, the Native oh, peoples yes. of the area. And they may be the... They may be the only some of the few people who know how to keep them at bay, <laughs> right? But but and and then maybe they do, but they don't. Well, that's the policies not keep everyone out. <laughs> no, that's not understood, and so they get blamed for. Oh yeah, of course, of course, you know them heathens are still living on this land, <laughs> and so of course it's you know they and get blamed for it. This is before statehood. Yeah, was it? That, sure. It would be the Oregon Territory, wouldn't it? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking Called at the, the Oregon uh, Territory. Yeah, it didn't become a state until 1889. Mm-hmm. I could have told you that. Um, so. State history. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I love took it. Civics. You took civics in high school. Oh, yeah, it was a requirement. Yeah. yeah. You're in Washington State. You had to take Washington history. Yeah. Oh, There's see. the Palouse Hills right there. Yep. Dry Falls, the Channel Scablands. Basically, picture Niagara Falls. Has anyone seen Niagara Falls or, or no? Yeah. I think I have been there, but it, it was a very long time ago. I've been okay. there a couple times, yeah. Imagine it stretching out. It's ten times as massive as Niagara Falls. That is the amount of water that was released onto this open area and was allowed to just flow over land unchecked because it's just flat. And about when did that happen, do you know? Oh, God, it's well before our written history. Yeah, it's prehistory. It's- yeah. All we know is that it was there because of evidence that the release of this humongous water supply just totally devastated the land, causing this channeled scablands. Period between 15,000 and 13,000 years ago. 
That was the Missoula flood. Yes, the Missoula flood. Lake Missoula was about as large as like three Great Lakes put together. Three of the five Great Lakes, I think. Yeah. It's just monstrous. All right, so eastern Washington, arid desert, terminal moraine, channeled scabland. The channeled scabland is more towards the southern reaches of the state, if you want to call it that. Would it perhaps be a good place for there to be a demonic gate? <laughs> yes. That would be Excellent. cool. The channel Scablands has the demonic gate. Yep. That works nicely for me. <laughs> used to be sealed under the glaciers in the lake. Yeah. Long ago. Okay, I'm uh, actually now I'm reading off of a website to try to figure out which Native American nations are up there. Oh, okay. Uh, That's a good. Let's see. I do not know the accuracy of this website, so with that in mind, uh, contrary to an older view which held that the Salishan tribes formerly extended to the Lower Columbia or driven north by the Shaftian, I have no idea how to pronounce that word. Well, uh, Shahaptian. Shahaptian looks like. Hmm. Pushed forward in turn by the Shoshonean peoples, it seems that the relative positions of Salishan and Shahaptian have been unchanged for a certain period of time. So we're talking about the Shoshone? Yes, I believe the Shoshone, yep. Okay. You're one of the peoples up there. Yep. Were they the ones in that area that you had been talking about? The Colville, yep. Mm-hmm. I knew they were named something else. We only we only gave the Colville Indian Reservation its name because of because of its geographical appearance. Um, the Shoshone were the one, the Indians that were in there. I knew I knew they weren't Sioux, but I knew they were something else. But the Shoshone sound about right. See, there's Shoshone, a whole bunch. Let's see. Part of the Numic languages, branch of the large Uto Aztecan language family. Shoshone were sometimes called the Snake Indians by the early ethnic European trappers, travelers, and settlers. Mm-hmm. Most of their totems, they built large totems that were snakes and reptiles and birds of yeah. certain... Okay, so maybe uh, yeah, the western Shoshone tribes, it said, lived in Oregon and western Idaho. I'm not finding Washington in here, but then it's uh, it just depends on where one looks, I think. So, but that was the uh, but that was the group we were mm-hmm. that we were talking about. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So, do we have a county or a? Uh, that we will have in a moment. Um, we also have those damn Canadians. Uh, oh yeah. This is uh, <laughs> this is the era of fifty four forty or fight. You know the, the that whole the parallel up there. Yeah, yes, it was in there. great contention. Yep. Yeah, according to uh, yeah, according to this, yeah, a guy named Vancouver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apparently, no. in the late 1700s, yeah, I uh, came over looking at it. I think it was Dutch. I'm not sure. The Dutch usually settled over there, so I had and to remember. Then that. they founded a city named after him, which is served Vancouver. as a stand-in for every single uh, other city on the planet in television and movies. <laughs> yep. Um, there was even a belief. That, I don't remember where there was a. Only. There were supposed to be Chinese explorers that found their way to that area well before pre-Columbus. Really? But there's not been a lot of, of of actual. I read this book. It was like 1672, or no, it's 1490, the year that China f- discovered America, and it was all about two years they, before Columbus, right? <laughs> that they found. Of course, you know, you can't really find a continent that's got millions of people yeah. on it. But you know, uh, I, I can't remember. I think it was 1490. I can't remember, but they were, supposedly the Chinese got there. And that was one of the areas that they said that they found. That would be the coast, and we're out east. So, yeah, the Oregon Territory, it says here, was established in 1848. And prior to that, there had been a lot of disputes. There had been joint ownership between the U.S. and the British. So are we in that era? Are we in that joint? Well, well, do we want to be before 1848 or after 1848, I guess, is the question. Because we can... I'm good with whatever. If we want to play with the conflict, that's cool. uh, Definitely. Let's make it interesting. Yes. Let's make it... Of the time, let's make it 1848, you know, or just prior to it. Yeah, okay. Let's see. Joint occupancy was renewed, but on a year-to-year basis in 1827. Eventually increased tension between U.S. settlers arriving by the Oregon Trail and fur traders led to the Oregon Boundary Dispute. Ah, let's look at that. This is in the first half of the 19th century. Uh, 1844, U.S. Democratic Party appealing to expansionist sentiment. Popular theme of Manifest Destiny asserted the U.S. had a valid claim to the entire Oregon country up to Russian America. <laughs> Russian America. Okay. Russian America. At uh, It gives coordinates here. I would, admit, I would assume that's Alaska. This was, uh, this was during the Polk administration. James K. Polk won the 1844 election, but then sought a compromise boundary along the 49th parallel. Mm-hmm. 
Negotiations between the U.S. and the British broke down, however, and tensions grew as American expansionists urged Polk to annex the entire Oregon County. Yes. That's yes, 54, 40, or fight. Yeah. The, uh, that, that was their slogan. They had to, yeah. the north to the parallel of 54 degrees 40. Yep. North. Basically, that's a good point in history for everyone to be really tense mm-hmm. and getting on each other's nerves and about to come to blows. And, and a good to, time to then for have, chaos yeah. and yeah. demons to... Yeah, it's a good run. time for demons to attack. Yeah, <laughs> run havoc. People get desperate. Oh, yeah. Okay, good, good. Trying to see if I can figure out county information here. I mean, I don't think we need to necessarily narrow it to a specific county, but I think we can say that, you know, a certain area. Well, if you look on the Eastern Washington page on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. if you go down to the bottom, there is a, a whole thing on small cities and then counties. The Washington, yeah. What counties Everybody are in Washington? Mm-hmm. But remember, these counties aren't formed until Washington State itself. Yeah. Forms. Well, then so, you could take one of the cities, maybe. You need a, a city that's been there a while. Right. Like Walla Walla. That was one of the uh, places where there was something happened. Let me see. <laughs> yeah. Something happened. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make some very, very big, vague statements. It's near the Hanford nuclear site. Somehow I have a feeling that the nuclear site might be somewhat later, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a map. Why don't I just look at the map? There's an idea. Fort Colville. Yeah, uh, that's going to be up north, though. It's yeah. right near the 49th parallel. Fort Okanagan. Fort Nez Perce. Okanagan, yeah. Fort Hall. Fort Okanagan. Okay. Fort Okanagan. Fort Nisqually. Fort, it's just got the forts here. I'm not actually... Uh, this this map does not have the cities. It's just got the forts. Well, the forts are probably where we should start anyway. Correct. Yep. I would oh, definitely yeah. think the forts would be more likely to be around at the time that we're tra- talking about. Well, let's see. Uh, Fort Nez Perce is right in the... Uh, at the intersection of these three rivers. I always like that name. The three rivers? I'm sorry, they're not three rivers, but it's <laughs> these three branches. You've got the Snake River that branches out. The Columbia River comes down mm-hmm. and around and down to Fort Nez Pierce, and it branches off to the uh, to the east. You have the Snake River, and then to the west, you've got more li- river that I do not have labeled here, but I do have something here then that says Willamette. 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 Yeah, the Willamette Valley. Uh, very rich, fertile land. Pretty cool. Yeah. So the river goes out west and ends there and also off near Astoria. Mm-hmm. Astoria. So, I mean, I, I'm thinking maybe if we, we focus around Fort Nez Perce, that might be a cool area. Okay, yeah. And that's uh, that's definitely in the United States area, of course, mm-hmm. um, but still close enough that I think there that a considerable amount of disputes are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I will begin looking up information on that area. I mean, you can you could do the Tri Cities, Walla Walla, Pasco Sherman, and forget the other name of the city. There's three cities right there near Walla Walla, uh, and it's called the Tri City State. Oh, because there's a there's a city on the Oregon side that's real close. I did a search for Walla Walla in the history document. Uh, let's see, explore the Columbia River, commencing 1807, 1811, blah blah blah. Along the way, he posted a notice where it joins the Snake River. Claiming the land for Britain and stating the intention of the Northwest Company to build a fort there. Subsequently, Fort oh. Nez Perce trading post was established near present-day Walla Walla. Kennewick, uh, Walla Walla, and uh, I think it's Pasco Sherman. Does it name the third city? Thompson's notice was found. It was. I'm just looking at the history, so it's it's just saying it was near present-day Walla Walla, Washington. Okay. I have a the, feeling that Walla Walla fort, was not around back then. It the fourth neighboring it was, city was West Richmond, Richland. Okay. Thompson's notice was found by Astorians looking to establish an inland fur post. There it is. Pasco is the seat of Franklin County. So, yeah, it is Pasco. How's that spelled? P-A-S-C-O. 1805. Yeah. I was going to say Pas- Pasco. Uh, it's where Lewis and Clark camped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fr- uh, you get a lot of fur trappers and gold traders. And when it's was in the Franklin founded? County, if you need to know that. But again, the county wasn't formed until after its statehood in yeah. 1889. So you've got uh, an area so that maybe they refer to as yeah, maybe they refer to it as Pasco. Mm-hmm. And let's see, where is that on on ye map? R- right down at the bottom of the state on the eastern side. But okay. along the the border there between Washington and Oregon. So we can focus on saying uh, uh, things that take place in kind of that area, sort of the area of Pasco, and also maybe stretching up as far as say like Fort Nez Perce. That's mm-hmm. the only real yeah. landmark 
that I have here. You know, those could be like two main areas that we can yeah. focus on. Fort Nez Perce is named after the Nez Perce people, later known as Old Fort Walla Walla. Mm-hmm. was a fortified British fur trading post on the Columbia River on the territory of modern-day Wallula, Washington, it says. It was in operation from 1818 until 1857. So without going into huge history here, is that the fort found itself on U.S. soil in 1846 as a result of the Oregon Treaty, uh, which ended the Oregon boundary dispute. So this is slightly before then. Right. The uh, Hudson Bay Company's Sinclair Settlement Expedition from the Red River Colony passed through in 1841, one day before the fire. It's fire? Yep. I'm just mostly looking for things for us to play with here. Mm-hmm. Rather, they traveled through it through the night because the large number of Indians in the area made an unsafe camp. Now, this is interesting. This is the legend of the origin of the, uh, of the Nez Pierce. There was once a monster that lived in the valley of the Clearwater River near Klama. The beast devoured all the animals that lived in the county for miles and became such a menace that Coyote, the clever hero of many Indian myths, decided it must be killed. Arming himself with a flint knife, he jumped down the animal's throat and stabbed him in the heart. He cut up the pieces and formed them to fashion the Indian tribes. He also sent to occupy the mountains and the plains. And finally, he discovered that he did not have a tribe for the beautiful valley in which the monster had lived. So he squeezed a few drops of blood from the heart and made the nest pierce. Thus, the lifeblood of this strange animal became the tribe living. Hmm. That's weird. Yep. That's kind of cool. Yes, and that sounds eminently usable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, perhaps this uh, gateway that is opened up in the uh, the channeled scablands is something through which they're worried this monster is going to come back. I wish or we had more information death, about the monster. Its death is now causing havoc. Well, now, that would have happened quite a long time ago, though, oh. from the uh, perspective of what we're looking at here. That's an Esbaris are native to the area. So, well, actually, and also they're, they're made up of the pieces of this thing's body. So they understand enough about it. They can keep its forces or the demonic forces mm-hmm. coming through at bay around them. But again, because they're tied to it in that way, they possibly, like you had said, get some degree of blame from people who don't quite understand what's going on. <laughs> Maybe they feel responsible for policing the monsters. I can see that. Yes. The Native yeah, Americans are trying to keep it from forming up again or, or something like that. Or, yeah. And so they're they're always seen as at the point where the problems are occurring. And so the, the cowboys are, you know, the cowboys are seeing them and then associating them with the, the uh, apparitions that are appearing. Yeah. The cool. Nez Absolutely. Pierce, yes. That works out. Yeah. The Nez Pierce believe in spirits called Wayakins, which would, they thought, offer a link to the invisible world of spiritual powers. Wow. Uh, protect one from harm and become a personal guardian spirit. Well, you see, there we are. That's mm-hmm. how they do it. They're able to call on these guardian spirits to help battle these things. And uh, as a result, because of you know what all these fur trappers and, uh, <laughs> and gold traders coming through are seeing, <laughs> like then there's the over the fort and everything. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> they can't. A lot of paranoia going on all around. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Okay. So it's the 1840s. We've got fire-aspected and ice-aspected and water-aspected demons running around, possessing people, <laughs> giving them strange abilities and causing them to... Brains. Uh, killing sprees. Yeah. <laughs> and all manner of things as part of this sort of shadow war they have going on. And you have the, the Nez Perce being the only ones locally who have some degree of ability to stop it or at least contain it. And, or at least and battle the, and, it. And, and the drive so to... And the drive to, mm-hmm. just the presence of the whites, especially fighting over the area, are complicating things. Mm-hmm. What other things should we define about this? Because we've got a pretty good, solid foundation at this point, I think. Do we want to throw any other random stuff in, or do we want to... Well, I think this is plenty. The... Okay. This will be plenty for, I mean, we got to keep it supernatural. Okay, do we want to zoom in on anything? I define think anything? what we need to do, I think there should be a few whites that have lived or, or are associated with or know of what the Nez Pierce are trying to do. So you have a small group within the whites that know what they're, you know, what the Indians are trying to keep at bay. And they're trying to make a difference, you know, in the white populated areas to try and get them to accept the Nez Pierce concept. But then there's this, you know, the majority of them are all resistant. I can see people thinking of them as kind of like spiritualists. Mm-hmm. 
You have those back east during this time. Correct. So you have some. May not have them here. Right. Because you'll have some whites that have actually lived with the Native Americans and learned their beliefs and their history. And depending on how well they immerse themselves and how they can acclimatize back to the white culture determines how well they fit back into community. You know, whether they, they're accepted, they're known as a really excellent tracker. They lead expeditions from point A to point B with little or no downfall or things like that. But they're never really a, a fully integrated part of the white society. They'll never hold true station. A lot of their beliefs are dismissed out of hand. There was a lot of controversy at the time, even back east, uh, over spiritualism. So it's it fits pretty well. Do we want to name this something? Do we want to call it a society of some kind? And also, is it made up of Americans or British or both? Well, they would be territorians then, probably. They Probably anybody who lived there would either consider themselves, this is pre-statehood, so they would, they, well, I guess maybe they consider, they'd oh, consider themselves I, ter- territorians, right, or something like that. Yeah, well, they'd consider themselves settlers out there, but the sentiment was for two different, a lot of people wanted to side with the U.S., a lot of people wanted to side with Britain. Maybe these guys didn't want to side with either. So they mm. considered themselves like Washingtonians. Yeah, there you go. Oh, also, what was the name Ooh. of that city again that you threw out that we were, uh, we're also Pas- using in here? Pasco? And Fort Nez Pierce. So maybe that right there where the fort is, is like a very high, volatile, not everyday occurrence, but that's a very prominent place because they would build a fort kind of close to the battle area near the convoy. Right. It's, a it's right fort. there where the river forks, too. Mm-hmm. It's a that's fort. It. I mean, yeah. you don't fortify someplace without a reason. Correct. Oh, yeah. It's an important strategic area. Mm-hmm. And also, coincidentally enough, perhaps a lot of the strange stuff that goes on also goes on in that area. Correct. At least for this region. Because, I mean, I could see some other stuff happening up north near Colville and stuff like that. The area we want to tackle is this little 100-mile square area that because people usually didn't go traveling all that much. The river, you can take the river all the way to the ocean from there. Oh, yeah. That's why it's important. That's what this point is. I'm reading about that. That's why it's a, a trading post to the planet, uh, to the places to the east of there. Because this is the place where they all gather so you can send it to the coast. Gotcha. That makes sense. So I'm thinking that the main areas sort of that we're focusing on, the main, I guess, the kind of, if you want to call it a triangle, it's not exactly a triangle because one of these is really big, but you've got Fort Nez Pierce out across the channeled Scablands down to Pasco and just sort of back. So kind of that Mm -hmm. zone as what we're focusing on here. So we've got the Society of... Settlers there. They've been there for a little while. Correct. Well, the fort was was open. It was an operation starting in 1818. But now it's and only 1840s. So we've got maybe a generation as One generation. Right. The Hudson Bay Company's probably oh, pretty much in control. Mm-hmm. A trading the, company okay. of that size is probably going to yeah. be a big player. It's the influence. Yeah. It's for the, the big economic power. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's what probably drove the fort to be built in the first place. Right. Yeah, the Hudson Bay Company was definitely involved. What would, who would be, what is the highest rank in a fort? I mean, I don't think they'd have a general. I think it, I could see it having like a colonel. Yeah. Because a fort usually isn't, I mean, it's important, but it's not general important. You know what I mean? And it might not even be a military fort, so to speak. Mm. I don't know. I think with the shipping there and the goings-on in the area, they probably wanted at least a minimal support from the military. Well, it says the ownership belongs to Hudson Bay Company. Oh, wow. Well, they could always purchase. Yeah, they could always purchase. They could set it up however they want. Yeah. I'm just looking to see the uh, different sides here uh, with respect to to the conflict, and that actually will tell me. A little bit more. The Hudson Bay Company is one of the uh, is the they claim to be the oldest commercial corporation in North America. Are they still in effect now? They still exist. Yeah. Holy crap! The English Royal Charter from 1670. Wow. The Governor and Company of Adventurers of England trading. Into yeah. Hudson Bay is their official charter name. And we all know where Hudson Bay is. Way yeah. over yep. on the East Coast. And they made it all the way over here. 
So at that time, the uh, the Hudson Bay Company was British. Mm. Then I would take it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what or was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it's it's under. Yep. Well, that's that's what it was initially. They got an English royal charter. So in yeah. in 1670. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, in 1670, yes, but that was then. A couple things happened after that, <laughs> um, <laughs> namely uh, us becoming independent of said yeah. English. <laughs> I just want to double check to make so sure. So would, would their charter still be valid? <laughs> well, but that's the territory. Remember, there are disputes out there until. Yeah. Let's see. The British knew the region as the Columbia District, a fur trading division of the Hudson Bay Company. Okay, so it must have been. Must have mm. still been British at that point. Okay. Yeah. Because they they called it as the they called it a division of the Hudson Bay Company, mm. while Americans referred to it as the Oregon Country. So that's the period we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When there's a so you basically have a corporation that has a charter from the king, and Americans sort of see it as their land, just a territory. <laughs> well, yeah, just a, uh, just uh, a, a, an area. Everybody knew there was a sea at the other side. You know, at the. We had well, that, a West Coast. Part of the whole Oregon Territory dispute had to do with the whole Manifest Destiny thing. There you go, Manifest um, Destiny. That's where we go from yeah. one sea to the other. Okay. Yes. Not that was James K. Yeah, President Polk was largely responsible for that, and he was elected right. in 1844. Okay. So he wanted people, the American people, to stretch from sea to sea. That is correct. Okay. okay. And it was God's will that we did it. Correct. God only knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically... What we have here, then, is that the Hudson's Bay Company set up this fort, mm-hmm. Fort Nez Perce. So we're talking... Uh, to protect the, its interest in trade, Yeah, which is so highly could, lucrative. I mean, the yeah. fur trading is just... So I'm thinking that it was, it was, at that time, manned by British troops. That's what makes sense to me, at, in, in any case. Okay. Now, are they really British troops, or they actually work for the... They work... For the, the well, they work for the Hudson Bay Company. company I mean, yeah. but it's uh, it, it's a fort. That, so I mean, <laughs> it's this is where it gets weird, right? So what do we think this is like? Uh, an early version of Blackwater? Um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's probably pretty close to that. It, yeah. Even worse though, because they're allowed because they got an official charter to mm-hmm. yeah. to operate. Well, I'm sure that historically we'd be able to find out more. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, well, but, uh, we're before we, the let's, let, so let's kind of settle at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, for the time being, say that the fort probably has a commander of some kind. Mm-hmm. But what structure they use is, uh, well, I'm going to British. Ass- yeah. yeah, I'm going to assume they're going to use something similar to the structure of the British military. Yeah. But so there won't you've be a got- marshal on site. I can tell you that much. That's too high. So, I mean, you'd have, like, probably a, uh, at least a major. Yes, there you go. You'd have a major, captains, and lieutenants. So we need to, um, don't we need to, like, specify? Yeah, I mean, really, we just need to figure out what things are important enough for us to name them. Mm-hmm. I think we need a nice... A lot of the names are there already, so that's... <laughs> a good a lot of work is name done for the Nez Pierce, who will Sorry? probably be a good shaman name, probably the spiritual leader of the Nez Okay. So we need a spiritual leader for the Nez Pierce. And we'll need their chief, because he'll be around too. So we want the leaders of the Nez Pierce. We'll want the leaders of we need the Hudson uh, Hudson Bay Company, mm-hmm. their interests. And I think we should name a couple of adventurer types, like the guides that I was talking about. Well, remember, yeah, we were talking about the yeah, this society. It might be, maybe it's like they're hunter-trapper spiritualist type folk mm-hmm. or something like that. Yes. But yeah, we need to name that society, and we need to uh, to figure out kind of who leads that. And then there will be, because there has to be, I know there was, some kind of opposition from the, for lack of a better term, the U.S. side of this equation. Oh, interesting twist. Well, yeah, because the uh, it's you've got British. the British interest, yep. mm-hmm. but you had the folks out there, th- 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 it was a very hot issue. They were trying to take this territory for the United States, mm-hmm. and a lot of the locals wanted it to be part of the United States, and they were calling it the Oregon Country. Mm-hmm. At the time, and the British are still sitting there, you know. Yeah. yeah. So the British are still ca- calling it the Columbia District, mm-hmm. and the Americans are calling it the Oregon Country. We're going to need kind of a, uh, I think, a third, uh, we're the, need the third the, faction. The, um, yeah. That faction. The chief of the Ness Pierce at this time was called Chief Looking Glass. Interesting. So we there we go. Okay. Did he have any sons or daughters? Doesn't say. Looking at the other side of things, the things around there were run at the time by the Provisional Government of Oregon, which were the settlers. Mm-hmm. 
they created that uh, that government body, but that government body ended when the first governor arrived. So is this in Pasco? Oh. Are we going to say this? They're set up in Pasco. We could, and then um, they'd have the, a presence the fort there. Definitely set up as the British kind of outpost. Yeah, north. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So let's say that the provisional government's primary presence is in Pasco. Mm-hmm. And of course, the British's primary presence is at Fort Nez Perce. Of and course. Then there'll be a faction influencing the provisional government that eventually is going to, you know, turn it to America. Mm-hmm. Although it's funny because it says here the uh, yeah, the 1845 Organic Law made additional changes, allowing the participation of British subjects in the government. Wow. And the Oregon Treaty of 1846 settled the boundaries of U.S. jurisdiction, but the provisional government continued to function until 1849, when the first governor of Oregon Territory arrived. A faction of Oregon politicians hoped to continue Oregon's political evolution into an independent nation, but the pressure to join the United States would prevail by 1848. So I think, actually, the pressure to, to join came from within their own government. Mm-hmm. We can say that at least that uh, for the purposes of what we're doing here, Mm-hmm. You can say that Pasco is where the uh, a good deal of you know support at least is with respect to all that. So mm-hmm. we've got the provisional government down there, which includes a number of pro-Americans. We've got and some British, people. believe it or not, and some British, yes. Well, but then you have Fort the uh, all British Fort Nez Pierce, which is predominantly British, but then also acts as a trading post. So you've got plenty of settlers going through there. Mm-hmm. I don't know about settlers going through, but certainly like guides and trappers, you know, that are yeah. trying yeah, to tra- mostly make yeah. a living. Yeah, uh, trappers yeah. and prospectors as well. Yeah, but they don't actually live. They're just using it because that's where they have to bring all their fur. The fur will be converted into money or gold or whatever they yeah. be paid in, and then they go off for the next whatever year or whatever. Come back during so, the season. So the uh, the current head of the Wherever the the Nez Perce people are, mm. um, is uh, Chief Looking Glass. Does it say where his seat of power is? That's what I was trying to see. Because apparently there's a monument, and I'm trying to figure out exactly where it is. Called the Heart of the Beast. Ooh, really? Yeah. Wow. They have a picture of so it too. Tantalizing. It's just interesting how all of these things <laughs> seem to be connecting up. The Heart of the Beast is where the where the Nez Perce perform their rituals. What? It's if you look at the Nez Pierce tribe mm-hmm. Wikipedia page, you go down and halfway down is a picture and it says the heart of the beast described in the Nez Pierce origin story mm-hmm. and it's a hill and um, oh ah. and I'm trying to figure out exactly where it is. There's a, Na- a Nez Pierce National Historic Park. I'm trying to see if that's where it maybe is. Where is Lapuia, Idaho? Oh, that's in Idaho. Okay. Yeah. No, they, uh, that's where they ended up. Oh. Yeah, they moved them. Forcefully relocated. <laughs> that's why the Shoshone are forcefully relocated to the Colville Indian Reservation. There was a novel written about it. About the Heart of the Beast? Yes. Wow. It's called Heart of the Beast, a novel. And, uh, and Does it actually say it's for the Nez Pierce? You know, yeah. Wow. I'm looking at a description of the novel to see if they talk about where it is. <laughs> We should be so lucky. I know, right? The first sentence reads, and the location is... He's <laughs> just like, yes. <laughs> well, that's the weird part. They have a picture of it, but they don't, they don't even say where this place is. It's an actual photo, so somebody... Does it, give you, it doesn't even give you Latin Lounge? No, nothing. No. It's just... Wallowa Lake, maybe. Wallowa Mountains. Across there are many of the small towns mentioned in this book and drove out across miles of dusty ranch land on our way to see Hell's Canyon. Yeah, it's not telling me where the thing is located, but I, I don't know that we necessarily have to. Uh, well, we can, yeah, we can put it, pin it down. Yeah. My apologies to anyone listening who happens to actually know the answer to this. If you happen to know the answer, please email us at podcast at crucibleofrealms dot com. Yeah. But for the time being, we'll go ahead and we'll say that it's uh, just for convenience sake, for the purpose of the fiction. Why don't we put it uh, somewhere out in the channeled scablands? There you go. There can be hills out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, there it definitely is. And finding one lone little hill is like they—they're scattered. There's—it's this hill. No, a half mile later, it's this hill. A half mile later, it's this hill. You know, it's like yeah. there's well, hills yeah. everywhere. I mean, it's a small rolling hill. Exactly. You know. So, and I think if I think that's the picture you're looking at, right, John? It's just kind of this undescript little hill. Right. Exactly. Or is there some? You know. No, you're you're looking at what I'm looking at. Yeah. 
So it's like it's it's tantalizingly because it looks cool, and I wanted to know where that was, but no. Okay, so to get this to the point where we can start wrapping it up, because we're dealing with a smaller area, we're naming more people, I think it seems, which is fine. I'm satisfied with just right now having the name Chief Looking Glass for the uh, head of the nose pierce at that time in that area. Oh, yeah. And so let's go ahead and figure out who is in charge locally with the Hudson Bay Company and uh, then figure out who is in charge locally of this society. And if we want, we can also name someone down in Pasco who's the representative of the government. Does that sound reasonable? Yes. Yeah, I found okay. it. It's Where? in Kamaya, Idaho, on the on the Nez Pierce Reservation. Ah, uh-huh. uh, it would make sense so, that they would want that part of their his, you know, part of their. But they culture. took it with them. What do you mean? They took the mountain with them, or they took the heart they, of the? They took the heart of the monster when they had to retreat to Idaho. So it can be where we have it. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it can, yeah they just moved it. And it, it got uh, moved by shaman or whatever. Sure. When they're I'm good with that. Maybe I'm, that's the heart of their power. Okay, Thomas I'm, Simpson, July 2nd, 1808 to June 14th, 1840, Hudson Bay Company agent and personal secretary for Hudson Bay governor and cousin, Sir George Simpson. So, so Thomas Simpson is his representative there? I would think so, yeah, the way it's sounding. Although he dies in 1840. Like yeah, he dies in 1840, though. But perhaps he <clears throat> didn't. Or did he? Or did he? Well, <laughs> or rather, I should say, perhaps in this timeline, Thomas Simpson, who is, what, a relative of his? Yes, a cousin. Perhaps Thomas Simpson is a uh, is possessed by one of these entities. That would be cool. So his lifespan has been unnaturally prolonged. Yes, I like it. That is do, very cool. do we want to name the thing that's possessing him or leave it to the imagination? Oh, no. I think uh, as a main player, he's got to be named. Okay. So do we want him as part of the uh, the fire faction or the water faction? I think water. Mm-hmm. Because the rivers yeah. are strong yeah. there. Yeah, that works. The fire will be over on the west side where the, the volcanoes are. Over this side, okay. you don't have a lot of volcanoes. You have... Okay. The water is the most influential. Works for me. Especially the Columbia River and the Snake River. So a water-aspected demon. Yes. Which I think we should probably just give some sort of common... Uh, we don't need to give it... It'll have its own unpronounceable name that we need not worry out about what it is. But do we want to call it something similar to something like snake-based? The Ophidian? Ophidian. Yeah, uh, an Ophidian is a snake. Okay, yeah. Let's go. Let's, the Ophidian. That's the Ophidian. Sure. Okay, so... Thomas Simpson, who is the local, what is he? Is he in charge of Fort Nez Pierce? Yes. Okay, so he would be, say, Major Thomas Simpson. Major I mean, Thomas we're giving him title now, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't ma- say that he's a major in here, but. Well, no. Let's just make him the command, you know. The, we, are, uh, we are changing everything. Yeah. <laughs> must Major change. Thomas Simpson, possessed by the Ophidian, chartered by the Hudson Bay Company. Awesome. So we've got that. And so next, this society, what do we want to call it? The society that includes maybe fur traders and such, but also spiritualists that are trying to bridge the gap. Aha. Uh-huh. George Simpson was the main force behind the move. That's Thomas's cousin. John right. McLaughlin became the main hindrance. McLaughlin had devoted his life to increasingly linked to growing settlements in the Willamette Valley. He fought Simpson's proposal to move north, but in vain. This guy, John McLaughlin, is the settler's head dude so actually he'd be down in pasco then he'd be yes. the uh he'd be the okay. pasco guy john mclaughlin there's a place near missoula montana which is on the border called hellgate oh yeah yes i forgot <laughs> about that oh my god i passed by that and i went what there's a hellgate here <laughs> yeah in Oregon? i told what the hell i told you <laughs> the hellgate it says hellgate the collapsed hellgate. as a settlement in 1865 I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, very good. And actually, strangely enough, it says that he worked for the Hudson's Bay Company as Uh, well. I've got got another name here. Uh, Dr. John McLaughlin. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, James Sinclair guided more than 100 settlers from the Red River Colony to settle on the HBC or the Hudson Bay Company. Company farms near Fort Vancouver on order of Sir George Simpson. So there's one of the guides right there, James Sinclair. 
And we want to say he's one of the members of this society? Correct. And it's funny how so much seemed to come out of the Hudson Bay Company, but it, there was division afterward. But Hellgate was at the very end of the Nez Pierce territory. Ah. I'm looking at a map that, that says Hellgate, and in parentheses yeah. it says Missoula, and it shades in where the Nez Pierce territory is. And the <laughs> Nez Pierce territory ends at Hellgate. Wow. <laughs> Oh, that's only natural. <laughs> yes, they won't go beyond the Hellgate. Yes, there's more stuff coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Is it anywhere near the channeled Scablands? No, we can it. make sure that it's there. As a, <clears throat> there's always room for more gates to hell. Mm-hmm. We can there, have as many as we want. There can be more than one? <laughs> there can. Okay, so James Sinclair, will say, is at the head of this society. What do we want to call the society? Uh, they're, they're trying to get the settlers on the same page as the Nez Pierce. Correct. Uh and perhaps some of them have some spiritual abilities that allow them to kind of also deal somewhat with the demons that are out there, but they know they can't do it on their own. Shapuni. Shapuni actually is the name of the place where they, uh, where this provisional government was set up. Do you have the spelling? Yeah, C-H-A-M-P-O-E-G, Shapuni. It's pronounced Shapuni, Shapui, Shapui. Sorry. The G is silent. Oh, wolves, wolf meetings. So when they gather, they, they gather in wolf meetings, at wolf meetings. When they, when okay. they call a, a summoning together. Uh, who, who gathers in wolf meetings? Uh, that would be the Nez Pierce and their, the faction that wants to help bring the whites around. Okay. Um, so why don't we call them the, uh, and again, I'm about to use a word that I'm not sure if I'm using properly, just for anyone listening who is curious. Why don't we call the society the Wolf Lodge? I like that, the Wolf Lodge. Yeah, that works. Shapui is now a ghost town. Uh, yeah, it's in uh, Oregon. But that was the uh, now. Yeah. And that was the seat. Yeah, and we said that can be the seat of the government. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem because what we're saying is that Pasco is where the local branch of it is. Okay, there we go. No problem as long as we. Okay, I'm good. Yeah, we're fine there. So we've got Doctor John McLaughlin doctor. as being. Well, he is a doctor. Yeah, strangely. Yes. Enough, as being among the uh, the government of Pasco, I'm guessing. Although he also did at one time work for the Hudson Bay Company. Major Thomas Simpson is. Uh, in charge of Fort Nez Pierce, mm-hmm. and James Sinclair is the trapper in charge of the Wolf Lodge. And, of course, the local Nez Pierce are run by Chief Looking Glass. And I think we've got this pretty well together. Is there anything else that we want, any other last-minute details that we want to throw in here? Do we need to cite the religion for the whites? Are they mostly Catholic, Protestant? Because that may have a bearing on how they view the Native American bylaws and stuff like that. What do you think? Well, you got the French, they're all Catholics, generally. Uh, That means there's going to be a major division because it's a British company. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're going to be, yeah, they're going to be Protestant. So we've got that angle going as well. I I imagine that a lot of the trappers are probably Catholic and a lot of the actual representatives of the Hudson Bay Company are going to be Protestant. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's usually going to be contention when they're dealing with... Not out on the frontiers. Correct. Yeah. 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 Now, the major point of contention has to do with whether it's part of the U.S. or not. Right. (laughs) That's the bigger contention. And and how they deal with this supernatural threat that's out there. And And as time goes on, you have more and more representatives from the U.S. showing up Mm -hmm. as uh, Bolt's Manifest Destiny comes across. And it's going to be very interesting, I think. I just want to just kind of throw that out there in case we wanted to get a religious thing going on, because there might be too much friction. But I thought it might be interesting to know how the Protestant would view, you know, said Native American rituals and how the Catholics, because I know they would have two different views. I mean, they would react differently very much. So, I mean, they'd both look on them as somewhat heathenish, probably, if you take a strict view. Yeah, I can easily see the Protestant faction being generally more British, being just sort of of this mindset where it's, we're going to carry on regardless of what they are doing over right. there mm-hmm. yeah, and not let it affect us. Right. Whereas the Catholic faction is going to be more, while it's you probably a bit that. more American, they're going to be more like, oh God, what's going on over there? we got to be careful. Stop that right now, or God will smite thee. All right, so, but I think for the most part, we are good. 
Yeah, I think we're pretty good. The only thing I think we have left to do is just to name this scenario, create a title for it, which there are several titles that actually suggest themselves given the uh, everything that's going on. I still like Hell's Gate. I almost want to work in something about a manifest destiny on the part of Hell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> where they also have their manifest <laughs> destiny, where they want to cross onto this plane. Uh. <laughs> Does Hell have a manifest destiny? It's like something more about bleeding onto the physical mm. plane. Hell's manifest. Hell's mm. bleeding manifest destiny. Oh. <laughs> So we're talking about a title of what we're going to call this area? Yeah, just uh, what we're going to call this episode, if nothing else. Yes. But, but the title of the episode and also what we're going to call the... Uh, we could give the area a name if we wanted to, mm-hmm. or we could just give the scenario a name, mm-hmm. this setting. It needs a, it needs a Western name. The Western tinge to it, yep. Yeah, she wore a yellow ribbon, the Hell Fighters, the... Hell's Manifest. Or Hell's Old West Manifest. Hell's Bloody Old West Manifest. Well, that's getting a bit long, though. Hey, yes, it is. <laughs> to Hell's Gate and beyond. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Moves west. Um. <laughs> Nightmare in the Scablands. Oh. Nightmare on or in? How about we just call it Scabland oh. Nightmares? Okay. Mm-hmm. What about Oregon Fever? The companion to Oregon Trail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You have died of dysentery. dysentery. It's, yeah, it's like a disease, you know, it's festering, you know, fever. Or- okay, I see what you're saying. Yes, actually, no, I, I, I see what you're saying. Oregon fever. Mm-hmm. But it could also mean the, the draw to come out, yeah. you know. No, no, that's good. Children of the Beast? The Heart of the Beast? I just, I want to look up one thing in the thesaurus real quick, because I think the Oregon fever may be very close to something to what we want. While you're looking it up, I thought I'd throw this out there. December 2nd, 1861, a great flood destroys the Shaponi um, city. I'm serious. The town is completely destroyed, utterly. Awesome. In 1861. The Willamette River busts loose and just roars across. It's called the Great Flood. Destroyed most of the structures in town, barring two saloons. Shaponi was never rebuilt after the disaster. The town site is now preserved. Chaponi State Heritage College Provisional Government. Da, 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 da. So I mean, we've got Oregon Fever or Oregon Frenzy, and then we've got actually, if we look up synonyms for flood. Excess. Now this is an interesting little piece. The Wyakin belief reflected a Nez Pierce universe filled with individual spirits that existed in dreams and in real life, and to which the Nez Pierce could appeal for assistance. Thunder, lightning, yeah. a soaring eagle, grizzly bears, and mm-hmm. so forth. Each spirit could harm or protect a man according to its powers and inclination. The Waikin wow. could be a single force or a combination of forces acting in concert. Each man had a personal Waikin, 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 something mm-hmm. like that, Waikin. warning him and, and protecting him, assisting him through through life on Earth. Basically yeah. a spirit guide. So, you know what? Maybe we should just go simple here and I just call it what we've been talking about the whole time. Would it be too strange for us to just call it the Scablands? There you go. Yeah, I think Perfect. that's fair. We good? Yes. Okay. Good. The Scablands. Excellent. Well, we've got yet another setting. Though and, a uh, bit smaller than It is a bit world. smaller, but uh, more specific in <clears throat> scope, but ready to be dropped into works of fiction or gaming or what have you. We're going to go ahead and put it in the wiki and let us know if you end up using it. Feel free and drop us a line. As always, this setting is going to be made available under Creative Commons, so you are free to use it as long as you make sure to credit the podcast. And uh, I think that's about it. Yay! Yay! And there was much rejoicing. Ah, made it almost all the way through without a Monty Python reference. Uh, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't let that go. Come on. No! <laughs> Take care. Not at all.
Thank you for listening to Crucible of Realms. Do you have comments or a question? Have you used one of our settings? Tell us about it. You can contact us at podcast at crucibleofrealms.com or leave a review for us on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Or if you'd like to contact one of the hosts individually, you can find our emails on the website at crucibleofrealms.com. From there, you can check out the wiki with all the settings we've created so far. Those settings and this podcast are released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. The opening and closing theme was composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. <laughs>